the Unpublished podcast. My name is Amy and I am at my parents' house in Tasmania. Um, beautiful little country shack. So enjoy being in the countryside. God, as soon as I got here and just this quiet, I just felt like my whole body relaxed and I'm so grateful to get to spend some time here today. It is also very conveniently for James, uh, opposite a little country golf course. So that is why I am here alone today as the dude has been playing non-stop. Today I am going to invite you to listen to the first chapter of my audiobook. Regrettably, I am about to cause trouble. Um, so she is now available on Audible uh, and all your major like wherever you get your audiobooks from she'll be there um, and yeah I just wanted to give you a little taste of this new book baby the launch has been beautiful I felt so held and so loved by so many people who are reading this book baby um, if you are someone who has begun to read, read it or have read it um, having reviews is so important for a little self-pubbed author like me so I really really appreciate um, you're going that little extra mile and, and reviewing it on either Amazon or Goodreads. It truly, it's like really, really helpful. Um, so I'm so grateful for support and I really hope that Maud's story enchanted you. Um, and yeah, it just took you away from the world for a little bit. I hope you have the most beautiful Christmas and New Year's like time. I hope you have time to exhale. I hope you have time to really just let yourself be, let yourself do nothing. Um, and if you don't, I hope you're taking extra special care of yourself. If you have to work over the holidays, I'm sending you extra, extra love. All right, without further ado, um, this is Regrettably, I'm About to Cause Trouble. Regrettably, I'm About to Cause Trouble. Written and narrated by Amy McNee. This book is dedicated to the creative community who held me throughout my journey writing this book. Thank you for seeing me. Chapter 1 I tried to cover myself. I held the sheet so it fell in front of my naked lower half, but it really was no use. Put it down, Maudlin, my mother snapped. It's Maud, I mumbled. Modesty went out the window when your skirt was taken off. She snatched the cloth out of my hand, and I was made to stand entirely unclothed in the middle of my chamber. Had my hair been down, it would have at least have covered my chest, but I never let my hair down. It was wild, curly, unsightly. I crossed my arms over my chest, then reluctantly drew my eyes to the women fussing around my nether region. Was I allowed no dignity? This isn't working. My mother sat back on her thick red skirts. I saw a drop of sweat roll down her brow. I felt her anger. My lady... Agnes, my mother's lady's maid, took her to a chair. You really shouldn't be doing this, not in your condition. Only a few months until full term, my mother had her seventh child cooking away under her gold-embroidered bodice. No doubt it would prove to be her sixth boy. God smiled upon her. I looked down at the progress they made between my legs. God certainly did not smile upon me. My wedding was in five days, to Lord Edward Beckett, a very handsome man, with very nice green eyes, broad shoulders, and a shockingly large estate. He was my delight, and soon I would be his, and I would please him with lots and lots of baby boys, just like my mother. My family were famous for producing strong, healthy men. 
I looked forward to carrying on this godly tradition. We just needed to get over this nonsense. It had been labelled a lot of things by many different physicians. A large scar, a growth, a mark of death, a mark of lustfulness, a mark from a bad birth, a witch's mark. It was speculated that perhaps my mother had seen something that frightened her during her pregnancy, cursing me with this blemish. Or perhaps she had touched her belly too roughly during an eclipse of the sun, but she doesn't remember doing that. Nor does anyone remember an eclipse. A very bold wise man even suggested my mother had had relations with a moor. I doubted that one. My mother was a devoted, goodly wife. Personally, I had not decided on what it was. I only knew how I felt about it. I hated it. It looked like someone had rubbed mud up the inside of my thigh, thick, dark mud with hairs in it. They had rubbed it up the inside of my thigh and all around my lower belly, even under my private hairs. We were trying to cover my markup with a paste, and if it worked, we could cover it every single time Edward was to lie with me. It was an uncomfortable process, and I could feel the paste dripping down the inside of my leg like I had pissed myself. You're so pale everywhere else, Maudlin. Why has the devil afflicted you in such a way? Why couldn't you be a boy? That's what she was thinking. I could see it in her furrowed brow. I don't know, mother. I was a godly woman. I was still a virgin. I prayed each night. I went to mass. I knew for certain I would be a good wife. I was everything a woman should be. It was true. I didn't have blonde hair like my mother or the virgin mother, but I had lots of other virtues exactly like my mother Mary and the mother Mary. Maudlin gets her pale facial complexion from you, my lady, simpered Agnes. My mother could bathe in her lady's maid's flattery. How do you make yourself look so beautiful and white? I'm hardly as pale as I used to be, cooed my mother. Agnes slapped another layer of the paste on the upper part of my inner thigh. My colour comes naturally, but I know several ladies at court who go to great lengths to reach this true, godly paleness. She gestured to her skin. Do tell, my lady. Zounds, let this be over. Well, I know for a fact that the Queen herself, her sister, Lady Boleyn, and the insufferable Lady Agard all swallow gravel and ashes to spoil their stomachs, just so they can achieve that real ghostliness in the cheeks. I've never had to do such a thing, of course. God blessed me. It's familial, obviously. Your family is blessed. Agnes self-consciously patted her splotchy cheeks. My mother turned to me, and her smile faded. You can hardly tell that Maudlin is pale with all her freckles. It's a waste. My cat, Jimmy, twisted his way between my legs, eager to lick at the droplets of beeswax, cow's milk and hog's lard that was dropping onto the floor. Ooh, said Agnes, feeding time. Quiet, I snapped, scooping him up. I'd had enough. Mother, it's no use. He will see my affliction no matter what I do. I pushed past the maid, flung Jimmy onto my bed and grabbed my sheet. Mother sighed bitterly. I was such a waste of her time. She had six, soon seven boys to worry about and fuss over. I was a burden. I could see it in her eyes. I nearly always knew what my mother was thinking, as if there was a ghostly, unbroken umbilical cord between us. I could tell her mood just by listening to her footfalls. I knew how angry she was by the height of her eyebrows. 
Show me one more time, she sighed. Extremely reluctantly, I pulled back the cloth and rotated my leg outwards. The dark skin of my affliction was impossible to hide. It doesn't matter if you can cover this, I gestured to the part of the mark that crept up my inner leg. You cannot cover that. I crudely pointed to my purse. You'll cake the hair in white gunk. You'll think I have a disease. He'll wonder at what whorehouse I work. Oh, maudlin, you distress me and your unborn brother. She got up, balancing herself against the wooden panelling. Clean her up, clothe her. We will have to think of something else. She left the room. I envisaged good word being sent to her of what a devoted and dutiful wife I was, of the babies I was birthing as Lady Beckett. I would have more boys than she. That would show her. All of England would know me as a wife that birthed eight boys. I got dressed immediately, back into my billowing dark red gown and tight cream bodice. I insisted Agnes top up my face powder and rouge my lips. Just cover me up. I shushed her every time she began to speak, and I did not feel guilty about it. Do you want me to clean your leg, Maudlin? It's Lady Maudlin, you obnoxious woman. I tugged my skirts from her weedy little grasp. Leave. She thought herself better than me. She thought my mark meant I was less than a servant. She took a long moment to appraise me, but then she left. No one had any respect for me in this house, but at least she did as I said. I sat on my bed. I could feel the mattress vibrating with Jimmy's deep purr. Reluctantly, I navigated my hand up my thick skirts and began picking off the paste. I hoped none of it had actually gone up me. I caught my own gaze in the glass and saw my thick, dark eyebrows squint in apprehension. Ew. I flicked a bit of congealed beeswax at the cat. He opened one eye. I peeled another piece off, flicked it at his whiskers again. A paw flung out from under his black body and caught it. We entertained each other until I was clean again. I walked down towards the drawing rooms, running my hands against the walls, enjoying the feeling of the cold stone being interrupted by intervals of soft, threaded tapestries. Mother would reprimand me for touching them. But I was Lady Beckett, pregnant with eight boys, so Mother could fuck herself. I descended the stairs slowly, taking each corner gracefully, as I would when I was presented at the wedding. Servants bustled past me, working triple time to prepare for my nuptials. I ignored their curtsying and greetings of Lady Maudlin. I tried to focus my gaze on one point, even as I turned. Lady Beckett. I glanced towards the East Wing corridor. I had always felt sorry for those rooms. Sherburne Castle was too big for a family always at court. I was pleased that it would soon be packed to the brim with actual courtiers. The great oak wardrobes were at this very moment being aired for the gowns and bodices embroidered with pearls and jewels. And there would be jewels glittering everywhere. And I took a deep inhale. Could I smell swan? I took my seat in the drawing room by the window. We had guests already. My brother's wives, of course, my nephews. A few of the wives' parents and siblings were somewhere else in the castle, lording it over our servants, no doubt. But it was just my immediate family in this drawing room. I felt the pompous energy even as I entered. Six personalities scrambling on top of one another, desperate to be the loudest, desperate to be heard. 
Every single one of my brothers had strong opinions and a loud mouth. None of them had been blessed with an ounce of humility. Not one. My mother sat in her chair by the empty fireplace, rocking back and forward, holding her belly, smiling at her loud, unpleasant offspring. No one acknowledged my entry. They were discussing the increase in prices of wool. Lady Mother, John, the third oldest, long beard, beady eyes. He came and bent by her. We mustn't argue about these things in front of you, especially when you are so far along. I watched him as he whispered a prayer under his breath and laid a hand on my mother's stomach. She stroked his hair fondly. And we mustn't bother Maudlin with these things. Big political and economic matters are not for your ears. They are messy and complicated. He was trying to get me to talk back. There's nothing complicated about half the town going cold this winter. It worked. All six of them were expert Maud antagonizers. If business is strong, everyone benefits. If we do well, the people do well. Stanley, third youngest, seriously deluded. Our gold trickles down, Maud. You wouldn't understand. Wealth works in complicated ways. Besides, you shall not be complaining when this high wool price fetches you new dresses. Nat was Oswin, and he wasn't exactly wrong about the dresses. My father entered. He had a detestable way of entering a room when he was at home. I doubt he swanned around like that at court. Or maybe he did. I don't know. I'd never been to court. Not yet. He used both his hands to open the door, always with enough force so that the wood banged against the stone. The servants were eternally cleaning up the crumbles of wall and splinters of door he left in his wake. His facial expression was stern as he stood still in the frame of the doorway, but it softened upon seeing his wife and the shape of his unborn boy. He took the other seat by the unlit hearth and beckoned for wine. How are you feeling tonight? Are you prepared for the feast? My father took a large swig of wine and some of the droplets hung from his brown, wiry beard. I'm fine, my lord, replied my mother fondly, still rubbing her tummy. Maybe that's why I got my mark. From too much tummy rubbing, she should be careful. And you, daughter? Are you prepared? Seven pairs of men's eyes turned to me. I could see Harry glaring at me from behind a book he was reading, and young Thomas was licking his lips as he peered at me. For God's sake, I'm pretty sure I saw my mother's stomach jolt as the unborn boy turned to look at me. I have no doubt Lord Edward Beckett will be pleased with me, father. I managed. I could almost hear their unspoken thoughts. They washed over me in a cold wave of suspicion and shame. All seven heads turned to my mother. It was eerie to watch, all moving as one. Our final challenge is yet to be overcome, she said, her voice constricted. I looked into my lap as they all exclaimed. Take her to someone. This will not do. It could ruin everything. I said nothing. It was not my place to say anything. My woman's problem was a man's issue. If only you had bigger breasts, he might not be so focused on down there. That comment rung out louder than the rest. I looked up to stare at Thomas. He was 13 years old. No one reprimanded him. My own boys will never talk to me like that. I will be their mother and their matriarch, their own corporeal Mother Mary. Jimmy tucked himself under my skirts and wrapped his tail around my ankles. I tried to think only of his softness 
how he could wrap himself around my shape. We will think of something, my mother whispered. Damn it! My father banged his fist on the small table in front of him. There was a clattering and a splashing as goblets and wine tumbled. Servants sprung into action. You better think of a bloody good idea by tomorrow, Eve. This could ruin everything. It might not, I said. What? He snapped. I wished I had put more paint on my face, and I should have known to wear my pearled headpiece today. I was naked without it. I could explain to my husband that it is a malady of the skin, nothing to be concerned about, that it has been with me since birth. Perhaps a blessing from Christ. I have read that saints are often blessed with a mark of godliness. I know that. Do not speak of what you don't know. Father waved away the servants buzzing around him, clearing up his mess. I do know. You are speaking about me. But no one listened. Every brother had decided it was time to have his voice heard, and I got lost under the racket. I stared out the window and watched a bumblebee disappearing in and out of the flutes of the hollyhocks, but I could feel my family's anger and disgust in my bones. I reached for a poem in my mind that would most suit this horrid day and found an appropriately dramatic and sombre one by the king's own poet, Wyatt. I recited it in my head, drowning out the noise of my kin. And I, alas, by chance am thus assigned, daily to mourn, till death do it relent. But since that thus it is by destiny, what can I more but have a woeful heart? My pen in plaint, my voice in careful cry, my mind in woe, my body full of smart. And I myself, myself always to hate, till dreadful death do ease my doleful state.